Super Talk Mississippi media production. Specializing in Ford, Nissan, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Rams. CorinthAutoGroup.com and FordOfCorinth.com, where cars and happy drivers meet. Visit us now in person or online with the experience you deserve. Welcome in, everybody. Good morning. Glad to see you. Glad to see all of you, especially on a day like this. I'm Michael Borky, and again, glad to, glad to see all of you. And uh, if you're watching this, it means you're safe. And so I'm very thankful and, and happy for that. Uh, I was going back and forth on whether or not uh, to fire up a live stream today. I know a lot of people in our listening audience are, are dealing with some really significant stuff right now. Uh, and, you know, luckily right now... Uh, looking out our window, it's a little windy and stuff, and apparently it's going to pick up later today pretty bad. But I figured, you know, I've got power, and why not talk some sports with you guys because, you know, we need the distraction for sure. Uh, a guy that covers the Saints, Nick Underhill, uh, said something like that this morning on Twitter. He was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm still going to cover the team. It feels insignificant right now. But uh, all the replies were like, hey, you know, we need the distraction. We need the break. And so I'm hopefully going to do the same for you guys at least a little bit this morning. Uh, the, the images and stuff out of out of Louisiana are just horrible. And so, uh, you know, it, it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you are uh, the praying type, please lift one up for the people, especially in Louisiana on our Gulf Coast as well. There was some pretty significant storm surging there. Uh, it's the, the, the images are, are just just horrible and and the city totally without power uh although it looks like the levees held uh for the most part so that's uh that's really welcome and good news uh for there but it's not over yet i mean it's coming up through mississippi right now and bringing flooding and tornadoes and stuff like that so uh if you are in the area uh, like i am like we are my family uh please be safe as safe as you can be and uh, if you know anybody affected down in Louisiana, just lift one up for them because uh, they need it. It was uh, it's just brutal to watch. And so, uh, yeah, I actually it's funny. I don't know if it's funny or not. I, I got a text into the radio show on Friday. Uh, somebody saying that they hope my family down in Louisiana is safe is what they said. And, um, you know, I, I had to reply that. um you know, I don't have any family in Louisiana, actually. I, I adopted the Saints and Pelicans. I have the worst how-did-you-become-a-fan story ever as far as the Saints and the Pelicans go. Just just the worst how-did-you-become-a-fan story ever. So uh, I first went to the city when I was, when I was 19 uh, for a fraternity formal. And we only, like, the only places I went were our hotel, like, on Canal and then Bourbon Street and then back. Like, that was it, you know? And I thought... This is the greatest city in the world. Like this is just the best. You know, nineteen-year-old me thought that Bourbon Street was all it was, and I was obsessed with it. And we did that a handful more times after that. But um, once I permanently moved uh, to the Jackson area, I, I started going back more and more and, and exploring other parts of the city that are not Bourbon Street, and quickly fell in love with the place. 
Uh, New Orleans is my favorite city in the world. I, I love it. It's, there's something about it, just the culture and the architecture and obviously food and, and everything else that came with it. And then my first apartment here in Jackson came with this basic cable package that had like 40 channels or whatever. And I could pick up Saints and Pelicans games. So I just decided essentially why not? And I adopted them. So uh, I appreciated the sentiment from uh, from the listener that texted in wishing my family well. But I, I do not have family in New Orleans. I'm not from there. I just kind of decided to adopt the teams in the city uh, after I moved here to Jackson. Because it's all it's all I could watch, and you know I figured you know why not. So uh, it's a a place that's very important to me now, and, and seeing the scenes there, it, it's just awful. But no, I'm luckily my family is all scattered or uh, around the south and, and away from here. I'm actually the closest one. My wife, my son, and I are the closest ones to all of this. Um, anyway, so it's the worst. How did you become a fan story ever? Basically, like I just adopted them because why not? Terrible story. I don't have one of those. Like my dad took me to a game when I was seven, and you know, Aaron Brooks or somebody tossed me their sweatband and I've been a fan ever since. No, I, I don't have, I don't have any of that. Um, it's mostly just a, a why not thing, but I've been all in ever since eight years now, all in uh, ever since anyway. So, um, I'm just really thinking about those people down there today and, um, eager to see how, if at all we can help, uh, when, when this thing clears and they get a better picture of the damage anyway. Uh, so we'll talk week zero today on here. Uh, I've wasted enough time with you guys. Uh, college football started this past Saturday. You know, it, it was football. It was football. Wasn't good football. In fact, it was actually pretty bad. But hey, we got it. And uh, that's the important thing. Uh, real quick, before we dive into that, I want to remind all of you guys that I do go live every weekday morning, 8 a.m. Uh, 8 a.m. right here every weekday morning. I also, of course, do the radio show in the afternoon, 3 to 6, with Richard and Brian. But uh, I'm here, live stream, every morning uh, on YouTube. So search my name on YouTube, Michael Borky on YouTube, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And uh, while you're here, if you like what you hear, go ahead and physically like the video as well. I would appreciate that very much. Also, follow on Twitter and on Facebook. And wherever you get your podcasts, my name or Mike in the morning should turn up results and subscribe and leave a rating and a review just make it a five star even if you hate me and like tell me you know all the things that i do wrong just you know put five stars next to it i would appreciate that so the biggest story from week zero by the way guys uh is not college football you may not have seen this Uh, full disclosure i didn't watch the game i don't often watch high school football on like espn and stuff if if their teams from state four or five states over i'm not interested you know like there was the the thing that Jerry Jones hosted at Cowboy Stadium and, you know, big name programs from Texas and stuff like that. And I just, I can't get into it. Like I'll watch, if it's somebody from Mississippi or my home state where I grew up, South Carolina, then yeah, I'll watch, you know, but if it's a team from Florida versus a team from Maryland or whatever, you know, I I don't watch. So I didn't even bother checking this game out. But the story of the weekend from week zero is not college football. It's high school. Because ESPN, you guys won't believe this if you haven't seen it, ESPN got duped into putting a possibly non-existent high school on their major network to play IMG. Yeah, I'm not kidding. This is a team that played yesterday. They they are called uh, Bishop Sycamore, based in Ohio. Bishop Sycamore, and they played IMG, and you guys 
probably are familiar with IMG. It's a sports factory in Florida. It's like a, a boarding school or a prep school or something like that. And they just like recruit athletes from all over the country to come in and technically go to school, but it's a school for athletes. Uh, they played Bishop Sycamore from Ohio. And the best that people can find now, again, this is after ESPN put them on ESPN to play IMG. Uh, the best that they could find was a website that basically doesn't work. The About Us page has nothing on it. Uh, as far as anybody knows, they, they aren't even really a school. But according to this article from USA Today I'm looking at, Bishop Sycamore is technically an online charter school from Ohio. IMG beat them 58 to nothing. And um, Brian says, read this story this morning. Unbelievable. I mean, I, I don't know how ESPN didn't vet this. It's shocking. So Bishop Sycamore apparently pitched themselves to ESPN, and they claimed that they had multiple Division I prospects on their team. A quick Google search says that is not true. Apparently, nobody at ESPN uses ESPN's recruiting service to verify that Bishop Sycamore has Division I prospects on its team. So they got beat 58 to nothing, and they didn't really have a big roster either. It weren't that, weren't that many players on the field. Uh, 58 to nothing. And the announcers on ESPN in the second quarter, when it was, what was the score? 44 to nothing. Oh, well, it was 44 to nothing in the third. But uh, 30 to nothing was seven minutes to go in the second quarter. And the announcers on ESPN are openly questioning everything about this school, its credentials and everything. They're, they're like, you know, they they told us that they've got a bunch of Division One prospects and there's no way that's true. And at this point, I'm wondering if it's safe to continue the game. Like, that's how mismatched Bishop Sycamore was with IMG. That he, the, the announcers calling the game were like, this isn't safe. Like, not only are the players on the field not able to even hold their own, they've got, like, nobody on the bench. If they have an injury or two, what are they going to do? Openly questioning, like, it's unsafe for these guys to be playing against IMG right now. How does nobody catch this? So, uh, Bishop Sycamore played last year and went 0-6, and IMG played them last year and beat them 56 to six last year. Bishop Sycamore was outscored 222 to 42 last year. And all you have to do is Google Bishop Sycamore football, and you would have found these scores. All you had to do was just look at the recruiting services and pick anyone you want. Rivals, 24-7, ESPN, and you could find that not a single player on their roster has any sort of interest from Division I programs at all. They straight up admitted on the air that they basically got duped by this high school to put them on against IMG. And then as Chad points out, the team played two days before, which, is, which by the way, I mean, all joking aside about ESPN and not vetting and how embarrassing this is, that's extremely dangerous. Like, you know, call me soft or whatever. Um, nobody, nobody should play football with one day's rest in between. 
Like that, that is so incredibly stupid and irresponsible and downright dangerous. So this team played on Friday night. ESPN didn't know that. And they turned around and played IMG on Sunday. Like if I were a parent on that team, my kid would not be playing two day, two games in three days. There's no shot. And whoever has scheduled that and made that a thing, they shouldn't be able to lead young men because that is deeply irresponsible and, and dangerous you know, call me soft, call me whatever you want, but that, that's the fact. That is totally dangerous and, and completely irresponsible and, and downright just sad that they did that. If my kid plays football, there's no way in hell, excuse my, my language, there's no way I would let him play on a team that has two games in three days. No shot. Nobody, even at that level, should be subjected to that. And then especially the second game being an IMG a team that actually has Division One prospects all over the field and getting beat like that. They're lucky, honestly, that nobody got severely hurt. I mean, when in the second quarter you've got announcers like, this this is dangerous on the field right now. That's how much of a mismatch it is. Like, this game shouldn't continue. Uh, so the the people, the, the leadership at this apparently real, but not really real um, high school, an online charter school, um, they shouldn't be allowed to lead young men anymore. Uh, but man, ESPN, I mean, how do you do that? How do you get duped like that? I mean, who's scheduling these games? All you have to do is Google. It takes five minutes. I've never heard of Bishop Sycamore before. Let me check them out. You know, I've heard of St. Thomas Aquinas. They played on ESPN recently. Uh, I've heard of Allen, Texas, you know, these big high schools. We've heard of them before, but, you know, let me just double check. These guys claim they have multiple Division I prospects. Let me find out who they are first, because if you have a couple of guys that are committed to play for UTEP, well, with all due respect to UTEP, who looked good this weekend, nah, I don't want that. I want guys that are committed to Georgia or South Carolina or Boston College. There was a high school game the other day that had a, a receiver that was going to Boston College, and he was worth watching. You know, he's a good player. All you have to do is Google the roster and say, hey, that kid, like, has a rival's profile. How does E? This is the story of the weekend. How does ESPN do this? I mean, it's embarrassing for them. Complete, uh, totally embarrassing. Getting completely duped by this fake high school. Not even doing a, a, an ounce of research or anything to figure out if these guys were actually getting Division One offers, and clearly they were not, and then whoever's involved at, at that place does not need to be coaching football anymore. Um, not because the team was bad. You can have bad football teams, but because they played two games in three days. It's just stupid. It's just incredibly stupid. So that's your story of the weekend right there. It has nothing to do with college football. It's the fact that ESPN got duped into airing a possibly not real high school's football team against IMG and watching them get beat 58 to nothing. And you pull up the first page of ESPN and there's no, no sign of that anywhere. Imagine that. Um, maybe they should look at their recruiting service next time before, you know, they put somebody on their main channel. You know, just a thought. Just a thought. Anyway, so week zero did happen. College football did happen. And uh, my main takeaway from Nebraska, Illinois, uh, you know, I'm glad the game happened. 
right? I am I'm happy that we had college football. I watched it. Uh, quarterback play was was pathetic in that game. And I know Illinois, uh, their starter got hurt, and so they had to play a guy that has a 20-interception season under his belt at Rutgers. You know, not an ideal situation for uh, Arthur Stikowski. Blew that. But yeah, Brandon Peters got hurt, and uh, Stikowski was fine, you know, for a guy that has a 20-interception season. But that's not the story of the game. I mean, Brett Bielema gets his first win. Good to see him back in the Big Ten. It was a really ugly brand of football with pretty terrible, terrible quarterback play. Adrian Martinez has not gotten any better at all uh, in his what feels like a dozen years at Nebraska. But I kept watching that game, and, and my takeaway was simply, I am confident that 12 teams in the SEC would beat both of them by more than a touchdown. That was my takeaway. I am, you you couldn't really convince me otherwise. Like, I'm very open for debate and conversation and stuff and people disagreeing with me because how boring would it be if you agreed with everything I say? Um, but th- there's no debate to me in this one. Watching those two teams play, the speed, which, or, or lack thereof, I guess I should say, uh, the, the speed and quarterback play, lines of scrimmage, just not the same. 12 teams in the SEC would beat them by more than a touchdown. The only two I'm leaving out are South Carolina and Vanderbilt, uh, who I expect both to be pretty bad uh, this year. Although South Carolina's got more NFL talent than possibly either one of those two do, but the Gamecocks might have to be starting a student manager at quarterback. So, you know, uh, I I can't confidently say they're going to beat anybody this year. Same goes to Vanderbilt. But if Missouri lined up against either one of those two, Eli Drinkwitz and his sweater would beat them both by 14-plus. I think Sam Pittman in Arkansas would beat them. I think Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Kentucky. Well, maybe Tennessee's kind of a stretch also. But Tennessee's got more talent than both of those teams do. I, I just, that that is a terrible, terrible brand of football. And Nebraska's supposed to be this blue blood, right? Uh, this is what I was talking about going into the game. Scott Frost not working doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense unless you start to consider that Nebraska isn't the job that it used to be. And there are some people like the lead college football editor at The Athletic that just can't quite wrap their minds around that. They'll say, well, what about Wisconsin? Wisconsin's a better job than Nebraska right now. Who is Nebraska signing anymore? The landscape has changed. They're not going into Florida and getting kids. And the kids that did come to Nebraska from Florida that Scott Frost used his ties to Florida to get, there's like one left on the roster. Uh, They they take step foot in Lincoln and they realize, what the hell am I doing here? The landscape has changed. It's not the job it used to be. And they're going to find out the hard way. They're, They're going to push Scott Frost out. And understandably so, he's not winning. But if you look at the recent run of head coaches, Bo Pelini was great at Nebraska in hindsight, but he wasn't competing for national championships, and they think that they can still do that. Well, here's the thing. They can't. Uh, Scott Frost not working there does not make sense unless you factor in the job that he's got. Don't forget what Scott Frost took over at UCF. It's not the same thing Josh Heupel took over at UCF, and it's not the same thing that Gus Malzahn is taking over at UCF. There was an 0-12 for Scott Frost. And then he took over and made them, quote, 
national champions like two years later. How does that not work at Nebraska? Because it's more difficult to win at Nebraska. And people stuck in 1989, so they're going to fire him. They're going to fire Scott Frost. There's no way he's surviving this season because Ohio State, whoever they're playing that is decent is going to beat them like a drum. They've got terrible quarterback play. They're not great on the lines of scrimmage. It's a bad football team, and he's going to get fired. You're going to have people that put out these hot lists. They always do it. Coaching hot boards. And the names on those lists are going to make you guys laugh. They're going to be hilarious, honestly. Um, Matt Campbell will be on. I, I promise you, The Athletic, CBS, all these these national college football publications, when Scott Frost gets fire, fired, they're going to put a candidate list out there, and it's going to make you laugh. It's going to have Matt Campbell. It's going to have Lane Kiffin. I promise you it's going to have Lane Kiffin. And people in Lincoln are going to think that they can hire him away from Ole Miss. They're going to have names like that. It's going to be hilarious because they're going to end up hiring like Bill O'Brien or something like that. Uh, An offensive coordinator at an SEC school or something like that is how that's going to go down. The lists are going to be so funny. And they're going to get told no by so many people. It's a more difficult job now, and now you've self-investigated your coach and turned over evidence to the NCAA. Um, n- no, thank you. They're going to get told no by Matt Campbell. They're going to get told no if they go down the Lane Kiffin road by Lane Kiffin. It, I'm telling you, the lists are going to be so funny because they're going to be so inaccurate and so stuck in like 1996. Nebraska hasn't been worth anything since the recruits that people are recruiting now has been born. Not worth anything. Landscape has completely changed. I, I, I'm telling you right now, I had somebody on Twitter over the weekend tell me that I'm crazy for thinking that Lane Kiffin wouldn't leave for Nebraska. Uh, I would die on this hill. Ole Miss is a better job than Nebraska is. Yep. There are sports writers that are stuck in 1996 that would disagree with that. It is right now. It's a better job right now. You are in a better conference. You, yeah, Nebraska has this sellout streak or whatever, but who who cares? Nobody cares. Uh, you're in the better conference. You have a much better chance at getting players and building a better roster. And expectations are not unrealistic at a place like Ole Miss. It's a better job. By every metric other than sellout streak and what happened before the recruits were born, hell, what happened when I was in diapers was the last time Nebraska was worth a crap. Uh it's a better job today. And no matter how many times you tell me about previous national championships when Scott Frost was in college and he's 46 now, uh, you're not going to convince me otherwise. They've been passed. And these hot lists are going to be hilarious to see. Brian says Frost's style won't work at Nebraska. They have to do it like Iowa. That's what Bielema is going to do at Illinois. I agree with that. I agree with that. They're going to have to bite the bullet. But they should have never gotten rid of Bo Pelini is what they shouldn't have done. He was winning there, which is shocking, but he was winning there. Uh, they're going to have to do it that way. That's how Nebraska is going to win. Uh, they're not going to win by running spread offenses and getting athletes or whatever because Ohio State is going to do it better than them. 
they're not going to be able to dip into Florida and Texas and get players, especially now that Texas is joining the SEC. My gosh, you think you're going in and getting a five-star wide receiver from Texas? Give me a break. Uh, they're gonna, I, I agree with you. They're going to have to do it ugly, and they're going to have to accept non-championship results, and maybe that's a fan base that can't because they've seen it in their uniforms before. It's easier for a place like Ole Miss or Mississippi State to be happy with not winning national championships because, you know, they haven't done it Ole Miss since the 60s. Uh, and so it's probably a, a more difficult pill for Nebraska to swallow, right? Because they've seen it with their own eyes, them winning championships. That's not the landscape anymore. It's not. Until the playoff expands to 12, but wait, Nebraska's in the alliance that doesn't want the playoff to expand anymore. Hmm. Well, so until that happens, they're just going to have to accept that they're not a program that's built to go to the college football playoff. Uh, Brian, I, I agree with you again. They have the same ceiling as Iowa, Michigan State, Northwestern, and other Big Ten West schools. That's their ceiling. I agree completely. Um, they can be a program that steadily wins. Wisconsin. Wisconsin, I don't think, will ever win a national championship. They, they just they can't get those players. You know what I mean? They can't get what Alabama is able to get at the skill positions. You know, Wisconsin's not getting even an Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. So Wisconsin can't get those guys. But they can have great offensive and defensive line play, uh, really disciplined program that wins nine, ten games a year and goes to the Big Ten Championship occasionally, and they might sneak their way into the playoff, and then they'll get matched up with an Alabama or an LSU or a Georgia or an Ohio State or Clemson or whoever that has better players at skill positions, and they'll get beat. But that's a hell of a life. I mean, what is wrong with the Wisconsin program? I mean, they've accepted what they are. We're not going to play sexy football. We're not going to have these wide receivers running go routes and doing rock, paper, scissors like Alabama, figuring out who's going to get the ball. You know, they're not going to have that. But they're going to have great line play. They're going to be stable, disciplined, and they'll win a bunch of games, and every season will be fun, and they might sneak their way into the playoff as long as it stays at four. But when it gets to 12, Wisconsin might make it annually. I mean, it's a great program. I don't think Nebraska fans are going to be able to accept that they showed you that they can't accept that. And by the way, uh, here for the old Miss fan listening, I'm gonna put this on Twitter actually here in a second. Um, I expect Jeff Levy to get a head coaching job after this season. Honestly, if you're a group of five program or even a lower level power five program and you don't interview Jeff Levy, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, sorry to come out so strong this morning, but you're insane insane if you don't interview Jeff Levy. I think that he will get a head coaching job. And if you're Lane Kiffin and you're Ole Miss, if Levy leaves and takes a head coaching job somewhere else, which I expect, uh, you hire Scott Frost. And uh, people push back on stuff like that. I, I heard from people about Derek Mason. When uh, Derek Mason got fired at Vanderbilt, I was like, hey, Ole Miss should hire him. Ole Miss should hire him be a defensive coordinator. And some people texted him were like, no, he's a bad coach. Like, look at his Vanderbilt teams. Yeah, his Vanderbilt teams were terrible. But if you're going to question his pedigree as a defensive play caller, you lose me there. Scott Frost took an 0-12 UCF team. When he took that job, the previous team went 0-12. His first year, they won six games. The next year, 
They won 13 and then the national championship. Look at what his offense was like at Oregon before he took the UCF job. You're telling me that that guy can't call offenses, especially with Lane Kiffin next to him? There, there are going to be people that, that will say I'm crazy. That would be a hell of a hire. Just saying. If Levy takes that job, you hire Scott Frost and you profit. He's a hell of an offensive mind. It's just not working at Nebraska. It's just not working at Nebraska. It doesn't make sense, but it's not. The job's got a different ceiling than it used to. And Brian, I agree. Michigan State, Northwestern, Iowa is about where they are. Until they can get skill position players uh, the same way that Ohio State can, that Clemson does, that Alabama does, that LSU does, that Ole Miss does, that Mississippi State does. My gosh. I mean, if you watch Nebraska play, they, they don't have a Jaden Wally on their team. Are you kidding me? Uh, it's just different. It's just different. Um, UCLA looked good. So that, that was the other meaningful game this weekend. UCLA looked really good. How much of that is due to their opponent? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's Hawaii and a, a team in a Power Five conference um, should be able to beat Hawaii 44 to 10. I mean, that, that should go down just like that, right? So there, there's only so much you can take away from that kind of a result because that's how you expect you know, a power team to beat a place like Hawaii. But man, uh, UCLA looked really good, especially defensively. So now that you've seen them, this is the question I've been wrestling with this morning. Now that I've seen UCLA, does it change the way I think about this game coming up this weekend with LSU? Does it change the way I think about this game? And I, I, my answer is no. I'm not going to be impressed by a win over Hawaii, but my eyebrows are up. Like, okay. They've got 11 seniors starting on defense. Does UCLA? They've got a pretty athletic quarterback. Um, you know, the, the the main story from that game is also not exactly related to the actual football game. We'll see about UCLA next week. The audition was good. And LSU, I think, has their hands full. But the story was the crowd. You guys have seen the crowd shots. I know you have. Um, maybe, maybe 15,000 people, maybe, and that's probably being really liberal with that number, in a 100,000-seat Rose Bowl that had an end zone basically tarped off completely. And, again, the aforementioned sports editor of the, of the Athletic was defending that crowd and talking about how hot it was and the beaches nearby and stuff like that. This is that right there would never happen in the SEC ever. Gainesville's an hour from the beach. It's going to be 100 degrees when they host Florida Atlantic. There will be 70, 80,000 people plus in their stadium. And when it's 100 plus degrees than there were in the Rose Bowl. A UCLA team, by the way, that people are high on. It's not like they suck. I mean, people going into the season thought UCLA, you know, a lot of experience. They Every loss last year was a game that they had the ball with a chance to, to take the lead in the fourth quarter last year. Like, they were in every game. People expect them to be good. There's however many million people that live in the Los Angeles area, and that's the crowd you get. This is why people laugh at the concept of the Alliance. Well, the Alliance is going to take over college football. You can't... 
You can't manufacture give a damn. That crowd shot was a perfect example to me, was a perfect example of the inevitable. And why some people that cover college football that have Northwestern degrees or whatever it is that are based on the West Coast, that that think that everybody's on an equal playing field and the SEC's big, bad, and evil. No, there's a reason that Texas and Oklahoma decided to leave the Big 12 and went to the SEC first. Because Vanderbilt will have bigger crowds. The worst team in the SEC, by a long shot, will have bigger crowds than what was in the Rose Bowl for the season opener last week. You can't manufacture give a damn. And the people on the West Coast don't give a damn. Washington and Oregon notwithstanding, because they have great crowds and great fan bases. Southern Cal will fill their stadium if they're good. But you can't manufacture it. It's not the same. They don't care as much. And if the people on the West Coast, where they're based, don't give a crap, then how can a non-conference matchup in the future between UCLA and Boston College generate any interest? It's not going to. So defend it all you want and say all the things about the SEC, how they're big, bad, and evil, and Greg Sankey is all this stuff. The people on the West Coast don't give a damn. That crowd shot was a perfect example of why the alliance is is a joke and why Texas and Oklahoma wanted to go to the SEC instead of the Pac-12 because they will never step into an environment like that. There will be more LSU fans in Los Angeles at the Rose Bowl for that game than UCLA fans next week. There will be, without a doubt. No doubt in my mind. Uh, That was embarrassing. And the excuse, oh, well, the beach is nearby, that kind of, spare me. But even though that that's true, that underscores the point. You can't manufacture give a damn. The people around here care more. It's just what it is. It's just what it is. Sex is the head coach, head coaching class of 2018 continues to be a disaster. What a bad year that was. There were more people at UTEP, New Mexico State than the Rose Bowl. Uh, yeah, New Mexico State fans, uh, they came out for that one and, and got smoked, but uh, they came out for that one. The Big 12, by the way, is uh, the other story from the weekend. And the Big 12 is trying to expand. Uh, they've been in talks with BYU, apparently. And uh, one of the stories I read said they view BYU as the only program that would add value to their conference. Uh, I think they need to, you know, and that that's the money quote, right, is add value. Who adds value to your league? Uh, The problem with the Big 12 right now, though, is they only have eight teams. If you just add BYU because they're the only ones with value, you still only have nine teams in your conference. Uh, That's not going to command a lucrative television deal that everybody's after. I think the Big 12 is going to expand. They need to bite the bullet and add UCF. UCF, my gosh, guys, is higher profile than Kansas in football, higher profile than Vanderbilt in football, although Vanderbilt gets more TV run because of who they play. But if you were a recruit right now, where would you rather play, Syracuse or UCF? Uh, Give me Orlando over Syracuse, New York. UCF's got bigger brand power than Boston College. Got bigger brand power than Maryland, maybe even. UCF is a much better job than a lot of Power 5 jobs out there. 
bite the bullet, bring UCF into the Big 12. Go for it. Do it. You should. Uh, I would consider Boise State as well. But if you're just going to expand with BYU, I think that's a mistake. The only way that you're going to be a uh, a Power 5 conference is um, having numbers on top of value. So anyway, that story uh, that story is out there as well. Uh, moving on into the week, I'm going to do more, you know, game week actual stuff. This is more of like a recap of the weekend. Um, you know, starting tomorrow, I'll really start looking at this upcoming weekend because it's a huge one, obviously. But just so much happened this weekend on top of the hurricane stuff and, and all that. Um, so, you know, that's why I'm looking back. The golf tournament was great yesterday, by the way. I don't know how much golf you guys actually watched. Um, what, six playoff holes? Bryson kept missing putts. Uh, Bryson is great for the game. I have completely amended my thoughts on Bryson DeChambeau. I still think that he's hard to like. Uh, he's he's weird. He's quirky. Uh, he's got some issues as far as not sit, like at the PGA Championship, intentionally hitting towards where the gallery was because he had a better angle at the hole. Um, so that sucks. And I'm not defending some of the things he's done. But when he walks off the last hole after he lost the tournament in multiple playoff holes, somebody did the Brooksy thing to him. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, people started calling Bryson Brooks because they're having their little feud and it really got elevated because a part of my take a podcast I really love, but um, that, it's just dumb. It, the guy that yelled, good job, Brooksy, at Bryson DeChambeau as he was walking off, like, he's already passed, like, the grandstands on 18, like, walking to the scorer's tent, very frustrated because he just lost a, a tournament that he should have won. Uh, if you're heckling a guy like that, you're a loser, too. You know, it doesn't make you any cooler that you heckle a golfer that's weird and at times troublesome. It just makes you a loser, you know? Um glorify the Brooksy thing's never been funny, but now it's just, it's, it needs to stop and they need to put a stop to it. Um, that's not what this sport is supposed to be. You know, I hear people say, well, football players get it worse, but yeah, they're playing football. That, that's completely different. Uh, this is a golfer. And I do love the irony. Bryson is clearly dealing with some inter inter stuff, whether it be demons or whatever. Um, he clearly gets frustrated and agitated and is not at times doesn't handle pressure well or doesn't handle failure very well. And, you know, he gets ripped for it and he hasn't handled the heckling well and stuff like that. But the same people that talk about, oh, wow, mental health is so important and all that stuff. And we really need to you know, the, the same people that talked about the, the tennis player, Naomi Osaka or, or Simone Biles pulling out because she couldn't handle it mentally, are mocking Bryson DeChambeau for how sometimes he, he doesn't handle pressure. And I, I always find that pretty hypocritical and kind of sad, you know? I and mean, he's a human after all. Not everybody can handle heckling. You know, some guys can. Some guys can brush it off. Others are different. And if we're going to talk about how powerful it is to, to have feelings and emotions then why are you mocking a guy for having feelings and emotions? It's hypocritical. Anyway, I'd, Bryson's great for the game. He's a villain. 
Uh, you, you either love him or you hate him, but you got to watch him because he does things that nobody else does. I mean, the sheer power in his game is just so impressive. And and he's polarizing. And he's great for the sport. But if you're going to praise or, or defend athletes who, who have issues sometimes uh, with pressure and mental health and stuff like that, then you can't mock this guy and cheer on people for for heckling him. And then, oh, look, he doesn't handle the heckling well. What a loser. Like, stop. Stop. Because you're a hypocrite at that point. Um, anyway, that's my soapbox. I'm getting off of it. Uh, a lot of stuff coming this week. Yes, Zach, the new Sunday stream. Well, it'll be Saturday night. It will not be Sunday. It'll be Saturday night. But yes, um, the content for people who listen on Sundays will we'll start Saturday night. I still can't decide if I'm going to do something in the mornings on game day. Uh, I, I can't decide yet. I haven't decided. Uh, but yes, Saturday night after the games, after dark here, I've got the overlay. I think I showed you guys the other day, but, you know, why not? Um, just a simple little fix after dark there. Um, is ready to go for uh, for Saturday night. So, yeah, late Saturday night after all the games, after the baby goes to bed, um, we'll be streaming reaction as well. So thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, be safe out there. Luckily, right now, it's still just kind of rainy, and that's about it, but things could get worse later. Um, keep uh, the people of Louisiana and uh, and your thoughts and your prayers this week and, and today, especially as they start to pick up the pieces from this uh, absolute just brutal, brutal, brutal uh, hurricane that went through. So thank you guys so much for tuning in subscribe to the youtube channel and i'll talk to you on the radio this afternoon all that'll mostly just kind of be weather talk mississippi instead of sports talk mississippi and um tomorrow morning right here eight o'clock see you then Talk Mississippi Media Production.